thank you. I feel a bit like a bit of a fraud. I, I don't really have a Christmas theme. In fact, it's, it's sort of this morning more, more of a, a devotional. I think I'm always tempted to have George stay up here and play, but I hate to break promises when I say it's going to be short. So uh, you, you can take a seat. Uh, no, George probably a bit exhausted. He did move house yesterday um, with lots and lots of uh, boxes of books. <laughs> Heaviest boxes I've ever had to lift. And I didn't get to read a single one. So think of this as more of a short devotion, hopefully. And uh, you can see, uh, I don't know whether you can actually read the title. Um, I actually titled it Warning Distorted Image. And even though the title sounds a bit ominous, it's more in the, in the vein of what we've been talking about lately, this, this change of seasons. I mean, this year we've been talking about the whole idea of the, the cycle of life, the rhythm of life. And we're in a season now, a season of growth. And this is the sort of season, who likes that sort of season where you can see things moving forward, where it's an exciting time, um, Christmas is coming, uh, if one considers that a time of growth. Um, I know that Jesus was supposedly a carpenter, uh, but I have noticed just on the corner of um, McGill and uh, Nelson Street there that the, the plumbing business there has has so much Christmas stuff out the front, it's unbelievable. Their whole roof is lit up with a, a uh, with reindeers and Christmas trees. They have a little booth at the front where you can, like you do whenever you visit the plumber, you can go up and have your photo taken with their with their their Santa sort of thing. They've even got a nativity scene out the front, um, which you don't often see. And so I thought, well, perhaps Jesus was a plumber and uh, not a carpenter. But there, there's a theological thing we won't we won't get into. But the title of my message this morning was actually inspired by driving through the Adelaide Hills. And for once, I wasn't driving. In fact, Ben was driving, so I was, I was a passenger. And it's amazing how much extra stuff you get to see when you're a passenger. You're not, your eyes aren't glued to the road hoping that you're not going to drive off the edge of the, the next bend. And we passed through an area uh, which was signposted concealed driveways, which isn't particularly unusual in the Adelaide Hills. Um, there's lots of the windier roads out there that have those signs on them. But as we rounded a, a particularly tight bend, and I was hanging on for, no. I noticed a, a convex mirror, just like that one, uh, on one of the driveways. But there was a sign underneath it which caught my attention, and it read, distorted image, exactly like this sign here. And Although I've seen these mirrors before, this is the first time I've actually seen this distorted image warning on one of them. And it got me thinking. So much so that I, I looked it up online and discovered that this sign is actually mandated in the South Australian government's operational instruction for concealed driveways and intersections. Section 6.4, sign designation G9SA112. For those of you who like to look those things up. And of course, it also got me thinking about the use of the word image in this sort of thing as one of the key descriptors we have of human beings in the Bible is the image of God. Genesis 1.27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So I thought, what's the purpose of this sign on this, on this mirror? Because you sort of think, well, it's there to, to show you something. Do you actually need to know 
this that it's a distorted image? Is this stupidity along the lines of packets of peanuts having notices on them saying this may contain traces of nuts as a warning? So I think, duh, is it, is it this sort of stupidity? Or is there actually an element of sensibility to putting something like that on the sign? And I, uh, I sort of thought, well, on reading the reg legislation particularly, there's definitely an element of um, covering one's backside with this legislation uh, to ensure that, that the government isn't going to be su sued by somebody who does something stupid while looking at the mirror. Um, but I thought, why is it important to identify the images distorted in the first place? And I think there are two reasons. And th these are valid reasons, and we can actually apply these to our own uh, non-traffic-related lives. And the first reason is to remind people that this mirror forms a particular purpose, which is to indicate the presence of traffic within the immediate driveway exit area. The distortion that actually enables an important focus, which does not include the size, the shape, or other details of the vehicle, just the fact that there is a vehicle there and you should not attempt to egress from your driveway, which is not a bird, it's just another word for exit. In fact, P.T. Barnum, who had Barnum's traveling circus back in the 1800s in America, was actually famous for using this. At one point, one of his exhibits was so popular and the lines were so long, but people weren't leaving afterwards and so the whole thing got congested. So he put a sign saying, egress this way. And people thinking it was a bird uh, went down that pathway to discover that they'd actually left the facility completely. Um, which, that, that's like Vicky, that's a free one. I, that's not on my notes. Um, and so... This distortion is actually important in enabling a wide enough field of vision so that you can safely assess whether it's safe to leave. And so the second reason is to remind people that the image in this mirror should not be used as an accurate representation of broader reality. The images seen here are not necessarily relevant for other purposes. And so I think that God actually uses both of these aspects of, of distortion in a way, in the way that we represent his image here on earth. And the first is that our representation of the image of God has become distorted. And we can blame those, the usual suspects, Adam and Eve. They, uh, they made a fateful choice in the garden. And we can see that the cycle of continued rebellion and disobedience is all throughout the Hebrew Bible indicating that this distortion has continued throughout biblical history. And the encouraging thing, and I mean the really encouraging thing, is that God actually knows that and he's still prepared to work with us despite the fact that we are not perfect images of Jesus. Does anybody here need prayer because they think they are? No, good. Got the right crowd. Firstly, he sent Jesus as a, an example of an undistorted image of God so that we've got somebody to hold up as an example of how to be a perfect image bearer. Secondly, he allows us to minister out of our imperfections as we work towards being more like Jesus. He doesn't wait till we've got it right. 
who's encouraged, who's never got it right, who's still encouraged. 1 Corinthians 39 tells us, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. We can operate in spiritual gifts that God has given us. But Paul says that even God acknowledges that as we operate out of those gifts, only part of it is coming from God. The rest of it is coming from us. And guess what? If it comes from us, it's not perfect. I'm sorry. Again, I'm happy to pray for those of you who were under the misconception that that wasn't the case. And so God is actually willing to work not just peripherally, but in a, in a very powerful way with our imperfections. And so we've got to understand that our view of, of God and his plan for us is often hazy. If we read further on in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling or distorted reflections in a mirror. But then... When we're with God, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So we've got this fuzzy picture of who God is. And sometimes, if we don't take care, that distortion can actually change how we interact, not only with God, but with his people. And so... What's the answer to that obvious danger that we have that our imperfect view of people, our imperfect view of God, can lead us down the wrong path? Well, guess what? God gives us an answer for that too. 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all. So this is important. Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't understand what's going on in other people's worlds, in my world. And sometimes you look out and you look at your own life and things are plain sailing. Things are going well. And you look at other people's lives and you think, yeah, they're doing well. God is blessing them. They're overcoming obstacles. They're getting promotions and they're getting houses and all things are working out. And then suddenly... People's lives are on the rocks. The waves of life have crashed over them and they're, they're foundering under the weight of confusion, of disappointment and all of these things. And, and we read this that says, yep, yeah, we've got to continue to show love for people because love covers a multitude of their sins. Because obviously if things are going wrong in their life, they've, they've sinned mightily. And I think if we have this attitude towards what that scripture says, I think, I think we're misreading it. Because we're called to keep loving people, to love without judgment, to love without opinion, to love without resentment. Because you see, love doesn't cover their sins, it covers yours. Loving other people isn't loving them despite their sins, it's loving them despite yours. It's the fact that we show love to others that covers our imperfections, our shortcomings. That's why we need to love people not because of their sin because we don't know what that is God says don't try and find out because it's not going to be as bad as yours 
Now, I know most of us think that that's probably not true, but I'm here to tell you it is. So, the, the idea that you know, we are distorted images of God does not actually stop us from doing what God has called us to do. The second take-home message when we look at this idea of a distorted image when it comes to being God's representatives is that looking at the world, the big picture of life, what our place is in society, how we are to respond to political, social and economic images is to remember that what we see is a distorted image. It's not God's image and we're not to look at that distortion and make life-altering decisions based on the distortion that we see. Romans 12, chapter 2 says, don't, repeat after me, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect and not distorted, in brackets. So don't think it says that. So don't forget that we as followers of Jesus have a clear path to follow from a distorted image of God to a perfect image. But we are on a journey. And I think we have to give ourselves a bit of slack to recognize that we're, we're not there yet, but hopefully we're going in the right direction. And the second thing we need to look at is if when we look at the big picture, we need to let Jesus be our lens, not the world. When we accept Jesus, it's a bit like in this mirror. If I could walk up to it and sort of press the middle and pop it, it would turn flat and the image would not be distorted. And I think that's what, that's what happens in our lives when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. There's a place in our spirit and in our heart that if we accept Jesus, actually reduces that distortion, enables us to start living our lives as a more true image of our God. And that's the first step we've got to take in anything we do when we act, act as God's image bearers. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus as part of the way you live your life to get rid of that distortion that we see the world in, that distortion that we see other people in, that we, ha we have a perfect, undistorted image of God to follow, then I want to encourage you. That's the first step we need to take is to accept Jesus into our heart, to flatten out that mirror, to stop the distortion of how we see ourselves, how we see other people, how we see God and how we see the world. If that's you this morning, you've never done that before, I'll be standing here at the end of the service. I'd love to pray with you to accept Jesus as a non-distorted image of God into your life. Or if you've done it before, but you know that you've lost that connection, that reflection, if you like, of a purer image of God, I'd love to pray just to bring that back into your lives with you. But right now, can I ask you all to stand?
I'm reminded of you know, what Brendan said about worship and what Vicky said about worship this morning and how worship can affect us because it cuts through our thoughts and our emotions and if we actually really enter into it it allows us to have a, a clear uncomplicated view of what God can do for us that last last worship song the only complaint I have about it is it mentions billion a billion times too many um, but I think that that's just part of the fact that our, our minds cannot comprehend the vastness of God uh, I, I sort of struggle every time it says billions of something. I think, well, I, I don't know what that is. It's, it's, it's a big number. Billions of galaxies, billions of stars, billions of lives. And yet that is God's world. That is God's reality. And, and the more we, we can open our hearts to see what God's reality is, the better the picture, the image that we have of him is. And so I just want to pray as we close this morning that we become larger people, that we don't close our minds and our hearts to ideas, to the voice of God, to his word, or to his people. That we can actually be big enough to overcome our own sin, to love others, to let love cover our sins, rather than rules, rather than legal jargon rather than following doctrine but to just love others Lord I just pray right now as we stand in your presence that your Holy Spirit ministers to every single person here to unlock the key to becoming bigger better people to allow us to shed, to let go of, to cast aside the chains that hold us back, to reach forward to accept your love, your light, your power, and your grace. Let us be known for the love that we show one another. We owe it all to you, Jesus. We thank you that you meet us where we are and escort us where you want us to go. Thank you for being you and being with us. Mighty Jesus, amen.